bow once more as we commit our time to him in prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you that you are everything that we need. Uh, Father, there's nothing that we can ever experience, nothing that we can ever encounter uh, that will take you off guard, uh, will cause you to step back uh, and scratch your, your head to know what to do, how to proceed. Uh, Father, you know everything there is to know. You understand everything that uh, you know. And Father, you have the wisdom to take all of that and use it uh, in the very best way possible. Uh, and for your glory. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Uh, we're thankful that you know our name uh, individually as those who are sons and daughters, that we're not just a face in the crowd, uh, that uh, we know you personally because you know us personally, uh, and we know you because of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we take the time to continue speaking to your presence, uh, as we have uh, spent the last few weeks Lord, I pray that you would just guide our time together. May the truth that comes from your word be an encouragement. May it lift up. May it do exactly what it needs to do uh, so that it does not return void, which we know it will never. And so, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'll get you into the habit here uh, of turning to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Then all of a sudden you'll realize, wait, we're not in verse 12 anymore. Uh, but today we start out as we have the last two weeks, um, as you turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, because that is the verse that has been guiding the last few weeks and will actually be guiding the next two after today uh, as we speak to the presence of God. Verse 12 says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. As we have learned over the last few weeks, it is no small thing to be in the presence of Almighty God. Uh, we have seen uh, in our first week together uh, the difference between God's omnipresence and his manifest presence uh, as he showed himself through different things uh, and appeared to mankind uh, after the fall. Uh, and then last week we took a look at the, the most beautiful uh, um, picture, the most beautiful uh, thing that we could ever possibly imagine, and that is God himself taking on human flesh, living a sinless, perfect life, because he is the one who is truly holy, 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 uh, to walk this earth as the Son of God, uh, to show himself. Uh, and even as we looked last time, we saw that even some of uh, Jesus's closest inner circle had the chance to see uh, behind, as it were, the, the veil uh, that Jesus had in order to veil his, his godhood from them. They got a chance to see that on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so today, uh, as we continue on, if you think that, well, you already talked in the Old Testament, New Testament, Pastor Bill, what's left? Uh, although there's plenty. Uh, and today we're going to begin by speaking to the subject of the presence of God in the church age, which is where we find ourselves today. Uh, and so there's some important things for us to understand uh, as uh, God deals differently uh, since Christ walked the earth uh, with believers. Uh, and we're going to speak to that because Jesus's death, burial and resurrection 
laid the foundation for the new spiritual temple. You remember last time Jesus said that, um, you know, uh, tear down this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Uh, And the religious leaders could not see beyond the physical aspect of that, thinking that how can one man build what took 46 years for many men to build? Uh, And of course, Jesus was speaking of himself being that temple. Uh, And when he died on the cross, you remember that the uh, temple veil tore in two from top to bottom. Uh, And that symbolized Jesus Christ uh, doing away with, making the temple itself obsolete uh, because he became that mediator. He was that final great high priest that there need be no more bloodshed for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus Christ himself is our savior. Uh, And so this set the foundation for what would transpire after Jesus Christ went up and, and took his rightful place at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, where he is even now making intercession for those who belong to him. Uh, and so we're going to see something here that changes because Jesus says, you know, it was he, when he was here on earth that he was the temple. Uh, and we're going to see a, a transition here from the Old Testament being the tabernacle to the temple where God showed his presence to the uh, Old Testament saints and to the Old Testament world. Then Jesus Christ, who came for the purpose of showing that he was the temple that there was no need for a temple made with human hands because the very Son of God was in their presence. To what we see after Jesus Christ ascended into heaven uh, is that believers are now the temple. Uh, And so if you like, uh, we're going to be jumping all over the place this morning. Um, I'm sorry I couldn't keep it all centralized to one particular scripture, but this will be good. So in case we have a pop uh, sword drill, you'll be ready to be the one to win that. So... 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is our first text this morning as we take a look at believers being the temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse uh, 16. And guys, it looks like you pulled up last week's PowerPoint, which... hmm. I wonder why that didn't look right. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I know where I'm supposed to be. All right. Let's start. That's all right. Verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And so we have this transition here where, you know, as Jesus is ascended into heaven, that Believers, those who have been redeemed, those who have a righteousness not their own, uh, those who have been bought with a price by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, have now become God's temple, and God's Spirit dwells in you. So in other words, you are not alone when you think you're alone. Uh, We oftentimes feel as though we're lonely because of circumstance, but you're never alone. Because as a believer, and we're going to find this in in a few moments here as we speak to the indwelling Holy Spirit, is that God's Spirit indwells every true believer in Jesus Christ. 24-7. There's not a a point at which you can get out, you know, and not be in the presence of God. So think about that from a practical standpoint. So every thought you think, every word you speak, every deed you do is in the very presence of God Almighty. 
because the Holy Spirit indwells you. So you can't hide from him because he actually indwells you as a believer because you are, as a redeemed individual, as a saint of God, the temple of God. And it says here, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So in other words, as those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer like the rest of the world. You are no longer a slave to sin. You, you are no longer defined as someone who seeks and loves everything that this world has to offer. Now, that doesn't mean that you cannot enjoy the things that God has created for the glory of God. Because sinful man does not do those things for the glory of God. Because there's no spiritual relationship there. There's no spiritual redemption. They have not been reborn. So everything that they do is for themselves in some way, shape, or form. And that's who you once were, but that is not who you are now. So as that temple, which is holy, because remember, think about all the pictures we've looked at so far from the Old Testament and how the, the glory of God came down into the tabernacle, into the temple, and man could not go into the very presence of God apart from the way in which God told him to do it. And even then, it was veiled. Because even the, the high priest, as he went in to make the atonement once a year on the Day of Atonement, would fill the Holy of Holies with the, the um, smoke from the burning incense so that there was a barrier as he came in so that he would not fully see the presence of Almighty God. One other scripture is actually 2 Corinthians. Hey, and there we are, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 14 to 16. Uh, and this actually speaks to uh, believers not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And this is important because it actually speaks to uh, believers as the temple of the living God. Notice there in verse 14 of chapter 6, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? These are all rhetorical questions, and you'll notice they're polar opposites because you've got righteousness, lawlessness. You've got light, darkness. You've got Christ, Satan. You've got believer, unbeliever. So it, there's no middle ground. There's no gray area. It's black or white. And verse 16 says, uh, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? So here you've got the temple of God uh, on one hand, which yeah, it was this hand I was going with, uh, and uh, idols on the other. Again, an idol is not worship of the one true God. An idol is man's um, making or carving or finding something else to worship besides the God who created them. It says there, continuing in verse 16, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So you, you notice this, this transition. Again, we as believers, because we've been redeemed, because we've been born again, are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And before you think that the Holy Spirit has some subservient, lesser role within the Godhead, do not make that mistake. Because remember, it's three persons in one God. 
So the Holy Spirit himself is, is the same in, in essence, in power, in attribute as God the Father and God the Son. So that means that you have the living God indwelling you as a believer, which should be a comfort when you're living the way you're supposed to live and horrifying when you're not. Your sin should make you feel as if you've just betrayed the very best individual, the very best trust that you had in someone, and even beyond that. Because that's what happens when we participate in sin, whether knowingly or unknowingly, which the Spirit will reveal to us. But the thing is, is that God himself, as the Holy Spirit of God, indwells each and every one of you. You are the temple of the living God, not a dead God, not an idol on a shelf that you go to and you go into the room where the idol is and worship it, and once you leave, you're no longer in the presence of it. This is God Almighty whose presence is with you everywhere you go, morning, noon, and night. And then in the book of Ephesians, um, chapter 2, which we've already taken a look at, and we're not going to delve much deeper into it than to reference it, because again, this is how all of this ties together. The church grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Notice in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and following. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom, so in Christ, who is the cornerstone, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So not only are we individually indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but there is something beautiful that happens when we gather just like we are this morning. Because we are the bride of Christ. We are the temple of God all coming together because what binds us together is the Holy Spirit which indwells us and the salvation that we have in Christ alone, whom God the Father sent in love, in grace, in mercy. Isn't that beautiful? You can't duplicate it anywhere else. Yes, God is with you everywhere you go, but there's something special that happens when the church grows into a holy temple in the Lord as a body of believers. It is living it is moving, it is active, it is abiding, it's trusting, it's exercising faith in everything that this Bible, which is not just some book, it is the book above all books, because it is God's word himself being revealed to us. And so we have this, this beautiful presence of God in the church age that is not duplicated in the past. Because something transpired, something happened after the Son of God in a physical form as the presence of God Almighty, as the second person in the Trinity, walked the earth, taught, loved, gave his life, died, was buried, was risen from the dead, and ascended into heaven. Something changed. Because God showed himself in, in a physical form 
in Christ so that the world would know the truth. But then after he left, and, and it didn't happen until after he left, he says, you know, he would have to go, and then someone would come. And that would be the helper. That would be the comforter. That would be, the, excuse me, the Holy Spirit. And that's the second point, is the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because this is what separates the church age from the Old Testament and actually the New Testament up until the, the day of Pentecost. Uh, and this is something that we enjoy even today in 2022, is that Christians have the presence of God within us through the indwelling Holy Spirit. We are blessed beyond measure. We don't have to go looking for God as if he is somewhere afar or somewhere in some, you know, uh, temple somewhere that we have to do a, a trek to to go find. He is with us all the time. See, the believer in Christ becomes the habitation of the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15, says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Hey, somebody turned. That's right, forever. So there's not going to be a point at which you're not going to have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to take every believer, without exception, through the gates of heaven itself into the presence of God Almighty forever. You know, we, we talk about, you know, uh, you know, getting the mail. Well, the Spirit is a, a delivery person because he is taking you home. And no believer should be kicking and screaming. If anything, we should willingly go. Because to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Well, why can't the world receive the spirit of truth? Well, because of all those opposites, you know, that we saw in not being unequally yoked. Well, what does righteousness have with lawlessness? What does light have that with darkness? What does Christ have with Satan? What portion does a believer have with an unbeliever? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? Well, there is no connection because those apart from Jesus Christ are dead spiritually. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse 14 goes on to say, nope, I'm in the wrong section. Verse 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be, what? In you. Again, just contemplate that for a moment. I don't think we think about that as believers enough, is that the Spirit of God is in you. So every time that you say that careless word, every time that you retort in anger against someone because they wronged you or you think things are unfair or you think things are not judicial the spirit of god is in you and he's not there just to fill a void as we oftentimes talk about that we have a, a void within us that needs to be filled with with god he's not just a filler part of what he does is fill us yes but he's not just there to, to be, you know, a, a uh, I can't think of the right word. 
want to say inanimate object, but I'm not sure that's the right thing to say. He's not there just to be a filler. We'll just leave it at that. He's there for the purpose of showing us who God is, to make the scriptures alive to us, for us to think twice before we take that course of action that is going to lead us past temptation into sin itself. Something that we, we never worried about apart from Christ. You know, there was a conscience there and there was things that we, you know, would have drawn a line and said, hey, I, I'm not going to do that. But that was because the law of God was written on your heart apart from Christ. And that's not the same as the law being written on your heart plus being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ plus having the spirit of God indwelling you who also makes it possible for you to commune with the living God, the Father himself. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, also verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Rhetorical question. You should know that because he was promised. And if God promises something, guess what? God keeps that promise. And nothing changes that. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. See, the interesting thing is you look back to the Old Testament. Something has changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament to where we are in the church age is that the Holy Spirit only indwelt people for a period of time or for a particular purpose or to give them power to do something that they would not have the power to do in and of themselves. You know, in adult Sunday school, we actually spoke to this just a few weeks ago when we talked about Saul, you know, King Saul, who was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But because Saul did not live for God and did things that were contrary to God, King David ended up getting um, anointed as king over Israel, and the Spirit of God left Saul and indwelt David. We have examples of Joshua as well as Samson and various judges that the, the Spirit of God indwelt for the purpose of doing a particular thing for a particular moment, for a particular time in history, and was not something that they could say the, the Spirit of God indwelt them 24-7 for their entire lives. That's what you and I have as a privilege today, is that we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us every moment of every day in preparation to take us home eternally to be with God forever. So knowing that that's a reality, knowing that Christians become the habitation of the Holy Spirit of God, I think it would be good for us to know what the Holy Spirit accomplishes in the life of a believer. What are some of the things as we look at our lives as believers in Jesus Christ should we see as a result of the Holy Spirit indwelling us? Well, I'm glad you asked. I will give you the answer to that. And it takes the form of, let's see, three, four, five things um, that we can look at uh, what the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit accomplishes. First comes out of the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Again, something to look back to as we consider uh, the presence of God. And that is that he is our guarantee of being taken into God's eternal presence. Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, 
were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What a beautiful thing to know is that when God saves someone through faith and trust in his son, he saves them completely. If you've been bought for and paid for in full, if your wages on your sin have been taken by Jesus Christ to the cross and you've been given a righteousness not your own, guess what? There is nothing that is going to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, God wanted to make sure that he would lose absolutely no sheep, no son, no daughter that belongs to him. Notice those words. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So God kept his word and he put his seal upon it. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So this is not just a possibility. This is a guarantee because who is guaranteeing it? God, thank you. I lost my place in my notes again. I need to keep my finger there. Too much, too much stuff here. He is the guarantee of it. So does God let people down? He can't. His character will not allow it. He is perfect in all of his ways. If he were to let us down, then he would no longer be perfect. And if God says he's going to do something, if God sets his mind to do something, and God's decretive will, which no man can change, decrees that Bill Diggins in 1975, as he put his faith and trust in my son Jesus Christ, is guaranteed a place which the Son of God is preparing for him to be in the presence of God Almighty forever. There is nothing that I can do to undo that, to change that, to turn my back on that. Because God has me. This is known as the eternal security of the believer. Because if you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you are eternally secure because God has you. You cannot undo that. Satan cannot undo that. And God will not undo that because he will not go back on his word. He is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Well, what is the moment we acquire possession of it? When I am no longer in this earthly shell and I'm in the presence of God Almighty because the Holy Spirit of God brings me there. Because he's the seal. He is the guarantee. And it's all to the praise of his glory. What a beautiful phrase. Second, he produces fruit in the life of a believer as a testimony to God's presence. This is a a scripture section you have memorized, no doubt. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and following. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Well, we only can live by the Spirit if we belong to God through Christ and are sealed with the guaranteed Spirit of promise. And notice, these are God-given. It's a God-given love. It is a God-given joy. It is a God-given peace. It is a God-given patience, a God-given kindness, a God-given goodness, a God-given faithfulness, a God-given gentleness, a God-given self 
self-control. That's why you are able to do things you could never possibly imagine because the Spirit of God who indwells you gives you fruit that changes what you think, what you say, and what you do to reflect more and more of God the Father in and through you because the Spirit of God indwells you as a believer. Third, he intercedes on our behalf, enabling us to commune in the presence of God through our prayers. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26, says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So another aspect, another thing that the Spirit of God accomplishes is he gives us the ability as we uh, take the time to come to God in prayer, which remember from uh, going through the Lord's Prayer, prayer is actual communion with God. It's not just you saying words, hoping that they go through the ceiling of the building you're in, or if you're outside, that they eventually reach the heaven or the throne room of God. Prayer for the believer is actual communion with God. And the reason you have that is because of Christ and because of the Holy Spirit, as we see here, the one who intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Fourth, he teaches us the word of God so that we can practice the presence of God in everyday life. John 14, starting in verse 25 says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still here. Jesus speaking. So he's, he shared all these things with them. And he says in verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Because what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said is the truth of God. It is the Word of God because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the Spirit isn't going to teach something different than what the Son of God is going to teach because the Son tells us what the Father has told him to say because there's no division within the Godhead. Truth is truth. And that truth comes from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. The Spirit will bring back to your remembrance all that, you have, or that, all that Jesus has said. And for us today as believers, what that is, is as you have read the Word of God, the Spirit will bring back to your, your attention things that you've read and said, well, wait a minute. The Word of God speaks to this particular subject, and this is what it says. And God knows everything there is to know. He understands everything there is to know. He has all wisdom to be able to apply everything that he knows. So who do I trust? my emotions, my gut, the world around me, or do I trust the word of God? See, that's what the Spirit does. He enables us to see that. And even as we memorize Scripture, and some may think that, well, you know, memorizing Scripture is a, you know, just an exercise in futility, or don't see that there is a reason to memorize the word of God. Well, yes, there is. Because the Spirit of God will bring back to your remembrance those things which you have memorized. And even as a pastor, sometimes those words are for me, myself. Because I need to be remembered or be reminded of the truths of the Word of God. Because sometimes I have selective memory loss. 
sometimes on purpose. <laughs> but see, that's what the Spirit of God's there for. He doesn't let us wander that far away before, as I've said before, some of us, he has to use a four-by-four four upside our head to remind us who we are, to draw us back in, to help us to see that those are things we shouldn't think, those are things we shouldn't say, those are things we shouldn't do, because they do not glorify God. And fifth, he empowers believers to use their God-given gifts to bring the church into God's presence. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. At the end there it says, all these, all these God-given gifts, all these gifts of the Spirit are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So something else that the indwelling Holy Spirit does in the believer is take the God-given gift which each believer here this morning, no matter if you're young or old, has a God-given gift. The Spirit is the one who apportions it to you. And that gift is not for you. That's the interesting thing about it. This is one of those things where we think we get a gift and it's for us. This is a gift that God gives for every other believer. And that's why we assemble together as a church, because there is a God-given spiritual gift that you have that the rest of the body of Christ needs because we are all one body. Not all of us are the hand or the foot or the leg or whatever portion of the body you want to see yourself as, but we each need each other. I needed my feet this morning to walk me over this morning. Would have been a whole lot more difficult if I wouldn't have had feet to take me here this morning. See, that's how the body works together because the Spirit empowers us using those God given gifts. And the only way that that can happen is when we gather together. Now, we do have technology and we are able to text one another, email one another, you know, you know take a phone out of our back pocket, which, you know, uh, most of those I look out here, all of you know that that didn't exist even, you know, 25 years ago unless you were highly important and had a beeper on your side, and even then you still had to go find a payphone. But see, the thing is, is that technology was never meant to replace the church. And even, you know, we even have Zoom, so people can Zoom in and watch church. Now, it's a benefit for those who maybe can't get out, and we want that to be a blessing to everyone. But the fact is, is that the church... This living organism, this living body needs one another. We need to gather together just like this because the Spirit has something special. He has a gift that he has given you that he is going to use through you to be a blessing to somebody else. And the neat thing about that is, is when we all do that, guess what? Someone else has a gift to be a blessing to you. So what we end up doing is we end up blessing one another, not using our gifts for ourselves because they're not for us, they're for everyone else. And when everyone else ends up using their gift for the glory of God, guess what? Instead of just getting one gift, you get as many gifts as there is a body. Enough on that. One last major point is believers never lose the reality of God's presence. This is something that I will par with something else next week, so you'll have to come so that we can see the other side of it. But the thing is, is that 
we can kind of frame God in and think that somehow we, we, we lose the presence of God. And the thing is, you need to know that you never lose the reality of God's presence. But there is an aspect you can lose, and we'll talk about that next week. But the reason you can never lose the reality of God's presence is fourfold. First, we belong to God, or we belong to him. Romans 14, 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are whose? The Lord's. Because we are sons and daughters. We've been redeemed. God's son's precious blood was shed for you. Because you are standing here this morning on the promises of God that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that your sins are forgiven and you've received eternal life. See, we belong to him, so we never lose the reality of God's presence because God does not just cease to be. Remember, what are we seeing? He is, yeah, he is. I wanted to frame that differently and it came out already. I gave you the answer with the, the thing. So the fact is, he is. So we never lose the reality of God's presence because we belong to him. We've been bought and paid for. We are sons and daughters of God. And as we sung, we are called by his name, which is the the second point. John chapter 10, verse 3. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So again, God knows each and every one of you personally, which is an amazing thing to think, just even in this room alone. I can't even say that I know all of you personally. And I have the chance to, to rub shoulders with you often. God knows you. He knows your name because you belong to him. So you never lose the reality of his presence because God knows you. You're not just a face in the crowd. You're not just one of trillions of creations in his image. Praise the Lord, there's only one Bill Diggins. Because, I, you know, there's times where I wish I could be two so that I could be in two places at once. But you know what? I'm unique. There's no other person that has ever walked this planet before my time, during my time, or even after my time that will be me. And God knows that because he created me. Third, we have eternal life and therefore will never perish. John 10, 28 and 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. See, when you've been redeemed, when you have been bought and paid for in full, when that judicial transaction has taken place, you belong to God. I mean, you belong to God even before that, but this is special. This is salvific in nature. This is not just something generic. This is particular to who you are. And no one. So don't, whatever you're thinking, whether you think, well, the devil could possibly snatch me out of God's hands. No, he cannot. Says no one. Can I somehow disqualify myself so that I snatch myself out of God's hands? No, you cannot. Because no one is, as it says here, and this is Christ speaking, 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than... Say it. All. Thank you. He's greater than all. There is no one above God. So if he has all power, knows all things, if he is above all, then know this, he has you. And so you can never in any set of circumstances be lost or lose the reality of God's presence because you belong to him. And last, we have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, which we talked about earlier, but this is another scripture because Paul wanted his readers to know. The second Corinthians chapter one, verses 21 and 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. So who establishes you? God does. And has anointed us. Who anointed you? God. And who has also put his seal on us. Who put the seal on you? God. And has given us his spirit in our hearts as what? A guarantee. Who did that? God. See, so you can never lose the reality of the presence of God because God loves you with an eternal love through his son, Jesus Christ. And he loves you so much that he put his Holy Spirit as a seal, as a guarantee until the day of redemption, until the day in which you walk through the gates of heaven itself. Whether because your earthly body dies or Jesus Christ himself comes in his second coming, as the play mentioned last night, are you ready? Because Jesus is coming. The Spirit is the one who is going to bring you home. So how should this inform our lives today? Well, first, the presence of God in our everyday lives will never, and I repeat, never be a disappointment. Now, you can look at it in a disappointing way because maybe you think wrongly about God or your circumstances, but the presence of God in your everyday life will never be a disappointment. John Trapp, uh, many years ago, wrote this. He's in glory now. He says, the more a man knows of God, the more desirous he is to know him. See, the more you experience the presence of God, the more you realize the Holy Spirit of God indwells you, the more you spend time in his word, the more you spend time in communion with prayer, the more time you spend with believers. Listening to the testimony, like we did of Jack's testimony of how he came to know the Lord in the play last night. All those things bring us into the presence of God. And the thing is, the more that we know God, the more we really want to know him. You thirst after him and think that it's gonna, he's going to just quench you. Well, he quenches you, and then you thirst more. It's the picture of the, you know, the vat that is filled, shaken down, filled again, shaken down, filled again, and to overflowing. See, the more that you experience the presence of God through your everyday life, the more you realize that God is never a disappointment. If anything, he is a joy. And last, the presence of God in our everyday lives will focus our attention upon him and not the things that rob our joy. I quote Spurgeon in the slides on the screen. He said, a dark shadow fell across my road, but I passed through it. I hardly realized it was there. Why? I had my eyes fixed on a strong light beyond. 
and I did not notice the distressing dark shadow. So what the, the experiencing the presence of God and, and walking with him and talking with him and abiding with him and walking with him does is that even when the dark shadows of life, even when the things that are, are oppressive or uh, depressive come upon us, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. That's the light as he looked beyond. It wasn't just a, you know, the sun or some, you know, uh, light out there. He's talking about God himself. So when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, then guess what? Even when those dark shadows, even when that, those, you know, things that could potentially bring depression into your lives, those things that can make you feel as though you're alone, if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, if your eyes are fixed on the reality that the indwelling Holy Spirit has you, that he is the one that is our guarantee, the one who produces fruit, the one who intercedes on our behalf, the one who teaches us the word of God, the one who empowers believers to use their God-given gifts for God's glory, then guess what? Those things will just pass right by because God is right there with you. So even though there's a dark shadow, the eternal light of God himself, the Holy Spirit himself indwells you. You never lose the reality, the presence of God. Amen?